0: You're just sitting there. Get up and go do something. That's something I heard my parents say a lot of times when I was a kid. Maybe you heard the same thing from your parents or a grandparent, a teacher, an aunt, an uncle. It's the idea that when you're a kid, you're supposed to be up. You're supposed to be active and moving. As we think about this idea of pursuing holiness, it does have this activity that is very inherent to the whole thing. But as James is bringing us to the end of his letter, He wants us to sit down. He wants us to be people of prayer. As a matter of fact, he wants us to have powerful lives of prayer. And there is this mistake that sometimes we fall into, that prayer is a passive activity of the Christian life. But it's not. When it comes to pursuing holiness, prayer is one of the most active portions of what you can do and who you can become. Because in prayer, you have to bear down with all of your willpower. You, you are actively submitting yourself before the God of the universe. You're, you're seeking divine wisdom and insight from the Scripture. You're asking for the Holy Spirit to rush upon your life and to fill you with His power so that you will know exactly how it is that you're supposed to live. Prayer is not the passive just sitting around, just waiting. And certainly there is waiting, there's patience, there's endurance involved with prayer. But it is an act of your will that you want God to move in power, both in your character and in the lives of the people around you. James uh, ends his letter, as we end our study together, with this dual call of prayer that is going to be for your good and your benefit of the pursuit of holiness, but also that's going to benefit the lives of everyone around you. So there is going to be a time that you just need to sit there and absolutely bear down into the life of prayer. James, his final words uh, to us in his letter remind me of something that the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. There's this awesome passage that talks about the armor of God. It's the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. But then as he is talking about the armor of God, he transitions into how prayer fits into all of this. And here in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 and 19, Paul writes, Pray at all times in the Spirit, with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. You see, prayer is something that really is for you, but it's really also for all of us. Everybody that's in your Bible study group right now, the people that are in your family, the people that are in your, your church family and congregation, the neighbors up and down the street, when you pursue holiness, you have to pursue a powerful life of prayer. Because our prayers offered together help us to seek a life of holiness together. When, when we get back over into James chapter 5, he reminds us that you're supposed to offer up prayer all of the time. He says, if anybody is suffering, you're supposed to pray. If you're cheerful, you're supposed to pray. If you're sick, you're supposed to pray. Uh, it's for every circumstance of life because you're asking God to move in all of these circumstances. Uh, sometimes we do default in our pursuit of holiness, of waiting until something is, has just kind of gone completely wrong, where things are flying apart at the seams, and then suddenly we're going to pray. But he says even when you're cheerful, that that's the time to lift up praises to God and, and, and attribute to Him all of the good that's in life. And then when you experience trials, whether that's any kind of suffering or specifically that sickness, you seek out God moving in a way that, that unless He moves, you're sunk. We want God to move in our lives in such a way that it's His will and it's His way that we're offering up our lives as tools in His hand to get done whatever is necessary. Because when we pray together for needs, whether it's physical or spiritual, God is always attentive. Here in chapter 5, verse 16, He says, "...therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed." The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. You know, this idea of the prayer of a righteous person is not just something that we should pass by too quickly. Because remember, holiness is when you have set your life aside completely and utterly for the purposes and the plans of God. It's where you have allowed the righteous character of Christ to be the characteristic of who you are. It's laid on top of your soul. And so prayer is this work of not trying to get God aligned with what you want to happen next, but prayer is the work of where you align yourself with what He's doing. It is the submission of our will to the will of God. And God instructs and expects us to ask Him to meet our needs. It's why we can confess our sins to one another. It's why when we're sick, we can ask God to intervene. It's why when we're suffering... We can ask God to to do work in our lives to both help us endure and to overcome. And for the church, we pray for God to give us gospel influence and impact in the community. Because your holiness and our holiness together is not just for the individual, but it's for the greater work of God. And for the believer, you're asking God to move in your life in such a way that you can experience intimacy and restoration in your life. And sometimes that restoration is purely physical. You're sick. You got that diagnosis. You're afraid of what's going to happen next. But more often than not, I think it's going to be spiritual, where you know that you faltered, where you stumbled, and you want Him to restore to you the joy of His salvation. That work that Christ did in you originally as you stepped over the threshold of faith that prayer that you're seeking, that you're bearing down, that you're intense about. You want the holiness of God, His completely and utterly different kind of existence to characterize who you are. Which is why I think in the last couple of verses of the book of James, the whole letter ends with a missional call. Here in James 5 verses 19 and 20, he ends the letter to us and he says, My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Turning a sinner back from his evil ways, your holiness, it turns out, is not just for you. Your pursuit of a holy life is for everybody around you to help them to see that they can also walk fully in the power of Christ with the filling of the Spirit and that they can live a powerful life of prayer that is seeking the will and the ways of God so that when they're sitting there waiting for Him to move or when they're active in the middle of their missionary field, that we can all live these lives where we are pursuing holiness and seeing God's work in the world. So as you conclude this study with me and with your small group, I want you to just be completely confident in the fact that God is waiting for you to bear down in prayer and that He's going to empower you to get out into the world, to live a life that is characterized by the very holiness that we found in Christ, that His righteous character has been laid upon your soul, and that you can live it out, and that your holiness is not really just for you, but it's for your neighbor, both the one that's across the street and the one that's on the other side of the world. And so as you pursue holiness, know that it's for you, but that it's for God's fame and it's for Christ's reputation so that all the world might know Him.